0: Welcome to the NECF Podcast, where we share our weekly sermons and faithfully interpret the Bible to encourage and direct you on your spiritual path. We are our devoted pastors and special guests delve into the depths of the Bible, exploring its profound lessons and useful applications for your daily life. I said here, what we call the New Testament actually started in Genesis. Amen? So what we call the New Testament, because... There's a similarity between Genesis and what we have in the history right? Grace. Grace was a manifestation. So actually, the man of God right from the beginning was grace. Join us as we explore the timeless truth that have the power to change people's hearts and minds, promoting a closer relationship with God and a firm belief in His promises. Hallelujah. When the word of God comes into you, it gives you light, and light is illumination. Light is understanding. And in First Corinthians chapter
1: chapter two, First Corinthians chapter two, verse twelve.
0: First Corinthians chapter two, verse twelve. It says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but a spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Hallelujah. So we, you know, the, first of all, we establish that the entrance of God's word gives us light. It illuminates our heart. We arrive at the point of understanding because the word of God has arrived. Then The reason why we can come to this understanding is because of His Spirit. Hallelujah. His Spirit, you know, has been deposited in us. And what the Spirit does is that it gives us what? It gives us the ability to know the things that have been given to us freely by God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So I just want you to just, you know, prepare your hearts to understand the Word of God. There are some of us, you know, we go to classes, for example, you know, some courses, we just believe that we cannot understand this course. Just believe that mathematics, no, it's not for me. Chemistry or organic chemistry, I don't normally understand it. So if you prepare your mind that way, there's no how you come to understand it. So for us, we have the spirit of God in us and we have the ability to comprehend his word and we are going to understand his word. Hallelujah. Amen. So we're continuing on our series, Forgiveness of Sins. And we said one of the important facts that defines a life in the spirit is the reality of the forgiveness of sins. One of the things that defines our identity as men of the spirit is the fact that we have been forgiven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are able to establish or understand the idea that influences, that this idea of forgiveness of sins influences our relationship with God. It influences our relationship with one another and it also influences our ministry of the word of God as we go out to preach. And then we also are able to see how forgiveness of sins is established before the introduction of the law. And we say the law always make reference to what? To Moses, the commandments, 10 commandments and all the instructions of Moses. And we see how, you know, the forgiveness of sins was established before the law came into existence. And we also, last time speaking, we saw how forgiveness of sins is done or is received or is established under the law during the dispensation of the law. So today, our focus will be forgiveness of sin after the law. I believe that, you know, stage by stage, we're able to come to this understanding. We're going to see where we are in the dispensation of God's work and how we can enjoy that which God has given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, for the sake of this teaching today, I want to divide the Bible into two parts. Please, the writing. Don't stay at me. All right? The writing. I want us to divide the Bible into two different parts as an introduction. The first part is what we call the law, or what we call the Old Testament. Oftentimes referring to, you know, the book of Genesis to to Malachi, right? In our hard copy Bibles. The law referring to from Genesis to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament books that we use, the 66 books we use. And then the second part is what we call the New Testament. The second part, or the division that we are doing for the sake of this understanding, we name one the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, and then there's a part, of course, which we refer to as the New Testament. Now, kindly note that this separation of the Bible into these two sections is is not a divine inspiration hallelujah, is not inspired by God for this separation. This separation, even in our hard copy Bibles, is not a divine, you know, inspiration. But done by those who canonize the scriptures for us. Alright? It is done by us men. such also the dividing of the Bible into chapters and verses. You know, we are making emphasis of this every time here that is not an inspiration of the Spirit of God. All are meant to help us to read and to understand the Bible, but not a product of of divine inspiration, which sometimes, if not properly used, can lead to error in interpretation of the Scriptures. So when you don't properly understand that the Bible is is collectively a, a book, right, you know, The letters written to Romans is a book separating it into chapters and verses, if not rightly done or if not rightly studied in context. It will lead to to a misinterpretation of the scriptures. So now let's go to our study. What characterizes the Old Testament is the law. What defines or what, you know, defines the Old Testament is the law. While what characterizes the New Testament is grace. The men that live under the law have to obey the law as a means of being right. Whereas under grace, it is a gift of God. Now in the Old Testament, all the law was given because of what? Because of disobedience. Just a reminder for us. It was given because of the hardness of heart, unbelief, which is rebellion. You know, they don't believe the word of God, therefore the introduction of the law. Now the law was introduced in Exodus, right? The beginning of the law is where? It's in the book of Exodus. Which will leave us with a question, how then do we classify the book of Genesis? If the law begins in Exodus, then where do we place Genesis? We'll come back to that later. In Genesis, there is no law, right? The law was introduced about 430 years later, after the promise was made to Abraham in Genesis. So those who live under the law were justified or made righteous by faith. Faith was the by the way, faith was the way the men that lived before the law were justified. Galatians 3, verse 1 to 9. Explains how you know Abraham believed God, and it was according to him as righteousness. So the law given in Exodus was added because of unbelief. It was interrupt. It was an interruption. We saw this in the previous teachings that the law was an interruption to the promise that was already in existence. And this promise is a promise of salvation by grace through faith in the word of God, which is Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament, or the law, will begin from Exodus, from the book of Exodus, to the book of Matthew 27. Listen to what I'm saying. The law will therefore begin from Exodus, to the book of Matthew 27, to Mark 15, to Luke 23, and John 19. John chapter 1 to 19, you know, is part of the law. Matthew chapter 1 to chapter 27 is part of the law. Mark chapter 1 to chapter 15 is part of the law. Or what we call the Old Testament. Somebody will be wondering why Am I classifying the Gospels as part of the Old Testament. Now, it will give us clarity And it will help us in understanding what we are talking about today. The forgiveness of sins. Why then do we add Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to the Old Testament? Because the law of Moses was still in effect during that time. The law of Moses was what was still in effect until that time. Galatians 4, verse 4. Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5 us to see that the law was still in effect in the Gospels, Galatians chapter 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born what? Under the law. So the Gospels explains the existence of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ himself was born what? He was born under the law. Verse 5. Verse 5, quickly. To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. So Jesus Christ was born under the law. He existed, lived under the law. In order that he will do what he will redeem those who were under the law. Luke chapter 2, verse 22, we we'll see where Jesus Christ you know, was dedicated according to the law. Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 24. Luke 22, yes, 2, 22. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed. According to which law? The law of Moses. What is the law of Moses? Exodus, right? The law from Exodus. Leviticus and the other books of Moses. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem. To present him to the Lord. Imagine they brought Jesus Christ to present him to God. As it is written in what? In the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called word holy to the Lord. You know, some of us still give first firstborn, first fruits. What do they call it? Uh, first fruits offering. And unto And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So this was the dedication of Jesus Christ. Jesus was born under the dispensation of the law. His ministry, most part of his ministry was done under the dispensation of the law. Hallelujah. Now, so where does the New Testament, as we've classified the Bible into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So now, where does the New Testament begin? It begins from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It begins from the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Matthew 27, the beginning, 28, Mark 16, yes, the beginning of, explains the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Luke 23, and John 20. All these are recorded in the Gospels when Jesus resurrected. And this ushers us into the New Testament era or the dispensation. Now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the turning point from the law. It's what I call a game changer. What brings about the difference in Our experience in the faith. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the end of the dispensation of the law. Jesus himself fulfilled the law. So Jesus' ministry fulfilled the law. It it, it brings the law to a completion, it brings the law to an end. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20 quickly. He says, do not think that I come to destroy the law. You know, some people think that the law is, is useless. You know, the law is not important. But Jesus Christ he is saying, I do not, do not think that I came to do what? To destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to, 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 to destroy, but to build, or, but, but to fulfill. Verse 18, for assuredly as I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one dot or one little will. will by no means pass from the law till all is what? till all is fulfilled. Verse 19, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20, the last verse. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. And Christ becomes a fulfillment. He says he comes not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Hallelujah. Romans of the 8, verse 1 to 4. Romans of the 8, verse 1 to 4. There is therefore now what? No condemnation, no condemnation to those who are in Christ who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by what? By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he himself did not sin. Hallelujah. But he was sent in a likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4. That the righteous requirements of the law, now the righteous requirements, all the do's and the don'ts that the law requires of every man was fulfilled, might be fulfilled in us. Hallelujah. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So all the requirements, all that the law of Moses requires of men has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and all that he has done. The obedience of Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law to all who believe. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 10, verse 1 to 4, As Romans chapter 10, he says, brethren, my heart desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. This will have very zeal for God. But not according to what? Not according to knowledge. Because they don't have a knowledge of what Christ has done. For they have been ignorance of God's righteousness. And what is God's righteousness? God's righteousness is a fulfillment of the law in Christ Jesus. They have been ignorant of this fact. And seeking to establish their own kind of righteousness. And how were they trying to establish their own righteousness? Practicing the law, doing the law, living in unbelief, not believing what Jesus has done. They go about doing things, still obeying the law, thinking that by them they will be made righteous. But they, they, they seek to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God, verse 4. For Christ is what? Christ is the beginning of the law. Christ is the end of the era of the law. For what? For righteousness. To who? To every man that believes. So when you believe in Jesus Christ, you've come to the end of the road of the dispensation of the law. You are no longer under the law. You are no longer under the consequences that will come as a result of you know, the disobedience that comes in the law. Because, you see, the law, no one can keep the law. Hallelujah. No one has the capacity. Because if you break one, we read earlier on Jesus' statement. He says, if you break one, is as much as you've broken all. In fact, the law is not for us to keep. We don't have the capacity to keep the law without God. So, Jesus Christ has fulfilled for us all the requirements, all that the Lord requires of us. And what we do is that we believe in Him and we are made right with God and we are forgiven, we are made righteous, we are reconciled to God, we are, we are, our sins are forgiven because of that. Hallelujah. So if Exodus to the ending of the part of the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in our classification in the Old Testament, Then, where do we classify the book of Genesis? Where do we put the book of Genesis, the old testament or the new? Hmm? Somebody is checking his head. Is it the old testament or the new? Huh? Is what? Is what? Is the testament? I didn't get you. What did he say? Okay, say so remove the oil and the new and call it the testament. What is a testament? That's a smart answer. What is a testament? Hmm? Hallelujah. It's a contract, right? Now, in this contract, God is the one. God is the only signatory in this contract. You know, sometimes we think of contract is that you, you will sign, your landlord will sign, right? And the agent that brought you also sign as a witness in this contract in this promise that god made to man he is a singular he is a contractor he's everything he signs he made the contract he, pro- he made the promise and he himself fulfilled the promise without us participating in the fulfillment of the promise that is the kind of covenant god enters with man hallelujah so when we say it's a covenant, we're not saying that you have a role to play in the covenant, no. When we talk about the covenant in Bible language, especially the covenant in, the, in, the, in, the, in Genesis, is a covenant that God himself made with man and God himself fulfilled the covenant with man, not participating in the fulfillment of the covenant. Hallelujah. So the Old Testament or the Genesis is the book of the beginning, is the beginning and not the Old Testament. You can't classify it as the Old Testament. Because in our classification, we say the law is what describes the Old Testament, right? The law. The do's and the don'ts. And we see that in Genesis, men, we are forgiven based on their faith in the word of God. Hallelujah. So the Old Testament, the Genesis cannot be part of the Old Testament. I said here, what we call the New Testament actually started in Genesis. Amen. So what we call the New Testament, because there's a similarity between Genesis and what we have in the Ephesians, right? Grace. Grace was a manifestation. So actually the plan of God right from the beginning was grace. Was grace to men. So the New Testament, actually, we can say based on this evidence, based on this proof that Genesis is actually the New Testament. So it will be better for us to put it this way. Or rather, let's put it this way. What we call the new today was actually the old. Right? What we call the new today was actually the old because it started in Genesis in the beginning. All right? And what we call old is actually the new because it was added in Exodus because of what? Of unbelief. So the covenant we see that Jesus Christ established is a reenactment the introduction of what was actually the plan of God right from the beginning for man. That by the basis of God's, you know, divine, divine, you know, making, which is by grace, we are able to relate with him. From Genesis to Malachi, we see God's promises of Jesus Christ. Men are, are to believe in this promise and are forgiven and made righteous with God. So under the law, we see Jesus Christ represented in types and shadows. We see Jesus Christ represented, for example, now, the rock, you know, as we see in Exodus, is a, is a representation of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 10 verse 4. When we see the rock in the, in the Old Testament scriptures, in the law, under the law, it says, and all drunk, let's start from verse 3. Of context, verse 2, or even verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, verse 2, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food. And all, now this way where I, 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 I'm tracing. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was who? Was Christ. Hallelujah. That rock was who? Was Christ. Typifying that that rock represents who? It represents, it represents Christ. Under the law, Jesus Christ was represented by types and shadows. The serpent, for example, now represented Jesus Christ, you know, in, 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 in a context where when the men were beaten by snakes, they look up on the ball, the, ball that, the serpent that hung on the pole, and they were made healed. And in John chapter 3, verse 14, we see Jesus Christ, you know, explaining that. John chapter 3, verse 14. It says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in where? In the wilderness. Even so, the Son of Man, that is Jesus Christ, must be lifted up. So we see that even in the law, God was trying to communicate, even within the law, the message about Jesus Christ himself as a solution to their inadequacy. That's the solution to, their own, to the sin problem. Hallelujah. So the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes a difference for us in our dispensation because we are not under the law. Amen? We are not what? We are no longer under the law. Why? Because Jesus Christ has died. We are not under the law. Romans 6, verse 14. Romans 6, verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have control over you. Sin shall not have power and governance over you. Why? For you are not under the law, but under what? Under grace. We are no longer under law because sin, the law, you know, sin gets its power from where? From the law. Are we together? Sin gets its power from the law, but we are not under the dispensation of the law. Therefore, sin cannot have power over us. Sin should not have dominion over us because we are under the grace that God has made available for us. Hallelujah. The era or the dispensation of the law was terminated in Jesus Christ. Amen. So how did we, how did Jesus accomplish the forgiveness of sins for us? How did he accomplish it? How did Jesus accomplish the forgiveness of sins? Now, the how is very important if we must appreciate what we've been freely given in Christ Jesus. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In him in who in Jesus Christ we have what we have redemption through his blood. His blood is very essential for the forgiveness of our sins. Through his blood. The forgiveness of our sins according to what? The riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1 verse 13. Colossians 1 verse 13. Says he has delivered us. Not that he will deliver us. Amen. There's no any deliverance than what Christ has done for us. Amen. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us, he has conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Verse 14, in whom, what do we have? We have redemption through what? Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 26, verse 28. Matthew 26, verse 28. It says, for this is my blood. This is speaking here. What we call the Holy Communion. For this is my blood of the new covenant. What is the new covenant? The New Testament era, right? The, the dispensation where we are right now. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. For oh, what? For the remission of sins. So, the remission of sins is established by the shedding of the blood. Shedding of the blood. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of of blood, there is no what? There is no remission for sins. How did Jesus Christ forgive our sins? How did he accomplish the forgiveness of our sins? By the blood. Amen? By the blood. So in the Bible, there are two words used interchangeably in relation to sin. You see the word forgiveness and you see the word remission. And all of us, all of them, the two words, you know, is translated from the the Greek word aphesis, which means to send away sins. Right? It means to send away sins. Not just to pardon sins, but to send away sins. Aphesis, a, p, H e s i s. I see some people looking at me. A t h e s i s. It means to send away sin. Yes. plural because there are many. Hallelujah. So remission of sins will mean to set free from sins or to clear the account for sins. It means the account of sin has been cleared. Right? So how did Jesus clear this account? You know, Luke 1, verse 76 and 77. Luke 1, 76 says, And you, you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, by the remission of their sins. Sins must be remitted. Sins must be forgiven. And that comes by the knowledge of the salvation which Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. So, this remission of sins we've seen is achieved by what? By the shedding of blood. The shedding of blood. Blood must be shedded. Blood must be what? must be given for the remission of sins. The shedding of blood is an Old Testament concept. It's an Old Testament concept and was done by the high priest. The high priest is the one responsible for this shedding of blood, for the forgiveness of sins of the people. Leviticus chapter 16. We'll see this in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 11. Leviticus 16, verse 11. And Aaron, who is a high priest, shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. Now, this one is not the one for the remission of sin of the people. This is for himself. To prepare him to go and do the main assignment. The next verse. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense, beating fine and bring it inside, inside the veil. Well. So there is a veil well in the tabernacle. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat, that is, on the testimony, lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat. You see the way the blood is appropriated in the Old Testament. On the east side and before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Verse 15. Then he shall kill the God of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring his blood inside the veil. Do with the blood, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, and before the mercy seat. Verse 16, the last verse here, yes. So he shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions, for all their sins, so the the essence of this practice is for the sins of the people under the law because of their transgressions for all their sins and so he shall do for the tabernacle of the meeting which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. the high priest goes into you know the holies of holies alone into where the mercy seat is and then he sprinkles the blood we see in verse 17. Let's look at verse 17. Verse 17. Verse 17. Leviticus 16 verse 17. Where the high priest does it. Alone. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of the meeting.
1: There
0: shall be no man in the tabernacle of the meeting. When he goes in to make the atonement in the holy place. So this atonement or this remission of sins was not a public show. Amen? It was not what everyone the congregation sees what happens. No. The high priest alone goes into the holies of holies behind the veil and administers or appropriates the blood on the mercy seat for the forgiveness of men. So men do not see what happens in the, in the secret place in the, behind the veil, right? When he goes into to make atonement in the holy place, Until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. Jump to chapter 17, verse 1, verse 11. Chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh, now we're talking about the blood now. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for souls. So atonement, which is the remission of sin, which is the forgiveness of sins, is achieved by the blood, and the blood symbolizes life, life for life. Hallelujah! An exchange of life for another life. Amen. In the context of the law, is a life of an animal. Are we together? Good. So the atonement, as I said, is done behind the veil and in the holies of holies. And blood, as we've seen here in Bible language, symbolizes life. The message seat symbolizes, you know, in the holies of holies represents God himself. That is where God is in the tabernacle. Now, all these explanations, all these are a symbolism of the heavenly realities. Amen? All these practices of blood and animals, are a representation of the real thing that Jesus Christ himself will do. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 to 6. Hebrews of the 8, verse 1 to 6. Now, this is the main point of things we are saying. With the mind of all explanation we've seen in Leviticus. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have sought a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heaven. A minister of the sanctuary and of a true tabernacle, which means that the other tabernacle was not true. Now, true here does not mean that it's false. Amen? Because when you see true here, you'll be thinking, "Ah, that means that one is is false. True in Bible language here does not mean false. That one is a lie. No. We'll look at it properly. Right? A minister of a sanctuary and of the true tabernacle The real tabernacle, which the Lord himself erected. Now, the previous tabernacle was erected by men. In the Old Testament context, was erected by men. But this tabernacle was erected by God himself. Or let me say, is erected by God himself. And not man, as the scripture says. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. That is Jesus Christ as our high priest, having something to offer, right? Verse 4, for if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. In fact, Jesus Christ was not born in the Levitical lineage. Do we notice that? Jesus Christ was not born in the lineage because the Levitical, you know, office is based on a family, the Levi, right? The Levites. So Jesus was not even born in that. So you... Jesus wouldn't be a priest when he was, in, if it is on earth. He will not be a priest. Since there is, there are what? There are priests, there are other priests, there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. Which law? The law of Moses. Verse 5. Who serve, what do they serve? They serve a copy and shadow of what? Of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. Which tabernacle? In the Old Testament. Right? For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So Moses Moses saw something that is original. Moses was able to see what was real. He presented that real thing to the people. They said, No, we don't believe what you are saying. See, okay, since you don't believe it, let me make one for you. And you keep on practicing and cutting animals and killing and being barbecue. Since you don't want to believe, right? Verse six. But now he has obtained a more excellent who obtained a more excellent ministry, Jesus, the high priest. He has he has obtained a more excellent ministry, in as much as he is also a mediator of a better covenant. True Tabernacle, better covenant. Amen? Better covenant, which was established on what? Better promises. Better promises. I was thinking somebody would be excited inside. Better promises. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 to 24. Jump to chapter 9, verse 22 to 24. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. According to the law of Moses, almost all things are purified with blood. And without what? The shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no remission of sin. Right? Therefore, it is, was necessary that the copies. Am I reading the right place? Yes, good. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heaven should be purified. With these, but the heavenly things themselves, with better sacrifice than this. Which means that what will be used in purifying what is heavenly is a better life. It's a better blood, right? For Christ has not entered the holy place, made with what? With ordinary hands, which are a copy of the true. Another word, true. Just take note of the word true, right? True, but into the heavenly itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for who? For us. So His appearance before God in heavens it was it is what gives us what the forgiveness of sins. Amen. It's what gives us the forgiveness of sins. The blood is shed only where the high priest and God sees. That's where the exchange, the transaction is done. The blood sits on the mercy seat. Amen. The blood seeds where it's sprinkled on the mercy seat better in Hebrews 923 let me explain that better means a permanent and not temporal true and better means something that is permanent not something that is temporal amen. So the forgiveness that you have is a permanent forgiveness is not a temporal forgiveness because Jesus Christ died once, He didn't die again. He's not going to die again. Hallelujah. So, the word better, we've be been seeing all the true. it's meaning what is permanent and what is not temporal, as in the case of the Old Testament. Jesus Himself is the blood. Amen. Jesus Himself is what? Is the blood that entered heaven. The Old testament the priest, the high priest sprinkled blood on the mercy seat. Jesus himself appeared in heaven. And he sits on the mercy seat. Hallelujah. His appearance is what brings us into the experience of the forgiveness of sin. The appearance of Jesus after resurrection from the dead is the blood shed for us. Jesus is not only the sacrifice, he is also the high priest. So Jesus is a sacrifice and he's a high priest himself. Hallelujah. That is why the promise is what only God can fulfill. No man can fulfill it. He himself. Hallelujah. What did he tell Abraham? Hmm? When Abraham wanted to sacrifice Isaac, what did he say? Who can remember what, what God said? I will wait. I will do what. 22:8, yes, Genesis 22:8. Say, my son, God will provide Himself the lamb for a born offering. So the two of them wait together. Hallelujah. God will do what? God will provide Himself. I didn't say for. I say Himself. In the original translation, that is what it means. God will provide Himself. A lamb for a born offering. So the two of them went together. Jesus Christ Himself is a sacrifice. Jesus Christ, the High Priest, is a sacrifice as well. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. All right. Hebrews of the 10, verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, have boldness to do what? To enter the holiest of holies. We can now come into communion because of what? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3 verse 1. Hebrews 3 verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, you see, the conversation has changed. We have become holy. Because Jesus has made us holy. He has set us apart. Partakers, partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the high priest, not only the sacrifice, but he is also the high priest. Men are only royal priesthood, but Jesus is our high priest. And he alone has shed the blood for us. Hallelujah. Now let's move to Hebrews 7 verse 11. And let's make some more, you know, explanation. Hebrews 7 verse 11 to 16. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, if perfection, if forgiveness, if to be made righteous is through the Levitical priesthood. What I mean by Levitical priesthood, or what this passage means, was a priesthood under the law of Moses. For under if the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? Pardon me, that verse will leave it like that. For the priesthood being changed. What change? The Levitical priesthood was suspended, was terminated. For the priesthood being changed of, the, of necessity, there is also a change of law, of the law. If there is a change in a Levitical system, there is a new priesthood system that is not by the order of Aaron. Right? That means that the law has also to change. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has associated at the altar. Jesus was never a Levite. Amen? God, who at various times, in various ways, spoke in time. You are giving me Hebrews chapter Mm 1. Hebrews chapter uh, 7, verse what? Mm -hmm. Where were we? 13, right? From 11. 11. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. Verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. Nothing concerning priesthood. And if it is yet far more evident, and it is yet far more evident if, In the likeness of Melchizedek, Melchizedek, there arise another priest. Verse 16. Who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of what? Of an endless life. According to the power of an endless life. Jump, Jump to verse 22. Verse 22 to
1: 24.
0: By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a permanent covenant. Amen? You see the way I use that word better, of a permanent covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death. All right? They died. Hmm? They didn't live forever. They died. All the men that were offering killing animals, they themselves, they couldn't live forever. So the surety we have is that we have a priest that is permanent. Amen. Also, there are many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. Verse 24. But he, hallelujah, because he continues forever. Amen. He continues forever. Glory. Hallelujah. Jesus continues forever. Has an unchangeable priesthood. The priesthood of Jesus is unchangeable. The priesthood of Jesus is permanent, which therefore means that our forgiveness is permanent. Hallelujah. Which therefore ensures that our forgiveness is eternal by an endless life. So the older was not perfect, permanent was not perfect, right? Therefore, the need for a permanent priesthood, Jesus Christ, the eternal priest, he is a high priest of good things by a greater and a better thing. Hebrews 9, verse 11. Hebrews 9, verse 11 and 24. It called, the Bible calls it a better thing. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation. Verse 24. Verse 24. Chapter 9, verse 24. Yes, for Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands which are only a copy of the truth but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. In the new Jesus sits down indicating that all is done and finished. Hallelujah. When he entered, hmm, he offered his life and on the mercy seat he sits. And that is where he is renowned. And what is his ministry on the mercy seat? Offers supp- so supplications, right? On the mercy seat, he makes mercy available. Hallelujah. Hebrews of the 10, verse 1 to 14. This means that it is finished. It is complete. In fact, let's use the word, it is completely finished. And there's a word like that in English. The work of salvation is what is complete. It's completely finished. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year. Look at what they do. Continually year by year. The forgiveness of sin is every year. Make those who approach perfect. Verse 2, quickly. For then will they not have sins to be offered? Will they not have been sins to be offered? For the worshippers, once purified, will have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder. You see what the sacrifice does? It reminds you there is a problem. Every year you come to offer, it means that there's a problem that have not been dealt with. It means that a sin problem is still there. Because as you are finishing this offering, you're thinking of next year, Holy Convocation. Amen? That you come again, Lord, is me again, a sinner. I come to confess my sins before the throne of grace to confess my sins. It's me again, Lord. I did it again. Amen. As an offering for my sins for this past year, I'm giving this, this sacrifice. So it reminds you of sins. So that is what the sacrifice does every year. For it is not possible that the blood of goods and goats should take away. What is that take away? Remit, the remission, aphesis. It was not capable of taking away sins. It was not capable of forgiving sins. Hallelujah. Verse, four, verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you do not desire, but the body you have prepared for me. Which means that the sacrifices did not solve the issue of sin. Hallelujah. God was not even, in, was not even interested in killing animals, except maybe you want to eat. Hallelujah. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. That means that God has no appetite for all the sacrifices they were doing. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Verse 8. Previously saying sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor have pleasure in them, which are offered according to what? According to the law. Verse 9. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he might establish a second. Amen? So what Jesus Christ did here is that he took away the first, which was ceremonial, which was the killing of animals, so that he can establish a better, a permanent sacrifice, which is a sacrifice of himself. By that will, we have been sanctified. Hallelujah. By that will, we have been, not that we will be, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How many times? Once and for all. Amen. On the line, once and for all. Every day in the morning, wake up and open that Bible. And, and on the line again, that once and for all. Meditate on that once and for all. In fact, it is your memory verse for this week. Once and for all, don't even memorize the entire script. That entire just once and for all. Just keep going and say once and for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Verse 12. But this man, which man? Jesus Christ. He had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. And what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. Amen. From that time, waiting till his enemies and made his footstool, verse 14. I think the last verse here for us. For by one offering, how many offerings did he offer? One offering. Once and for all. One offering. Once and for all. One offering. For by one offering, that offering is the offering of himself. By one offering, he has perfected. How many times? Forever. One offering perfected forever. Amen. One offering, does what? Perfected forever. Those who are being sanctified. I, I believe Pastor told us about what what is being sanctified. Those who are sanctified. Amen. And we came into this by faith. Once you believe, you are permanently sanctified. You are permanently forgiven. You are permanently made right with God. Because Jesus is not dying every day. Amen? Jesus is not going to die again. He died once and for all. So the sacrifice of Jesus took away sins once and for all. It is completely done. It is finished. It is perfect. It is eternal. What is the implication of this for us? What is the implication of this for us? Under the dispensation of grace, we come boldly to him to receive mercy in times of need. That is what it means. We come with this confidence. We are able to approach God confidently. Confidently in order to obtain mercy in time of need. Forgiveness of sins is not what we come to ask. Amen. Believers don't pray for forgiveness of sins. Hello? Hello? Now this way the bond is. Right? We don't ask for forgiveness of sins. What do we do? We receive the forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus, when you ask, what you are saying is, Jesus, can you please die for me? That's what you're asking. Jesus, I have committed sin, can you please die for me? But Jesus said, I have already died for you. So what do you do? You appropriate the forgiveness of sins. Isn't it? I believe we read through, right? So we receive the forgiveness of sins. It is not a prayer point. Amen? So understanding this will change your prayer life. Amen? So when you come to pray, you don't say, "Ah, let's pray the prayer of forgiveness of sins. It means that you don't understand what Christ has done. It means that you have not been properly taught what Christ has done. Because if you come to the knowledge of Christ, what Christ has done, you will say, Lord, thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Amen? What would you say? Thank you. So the forgiveness of sin is not by crying. Oh, can you just let's cry for our sins? It's not crying that makes God forgive you. In fact, your tears can never make God forgive you. Hallelujah. You cannot take God with your tears so that God will forgive you. You know, some people when they sin, ah, you're not feeling remorse, remorse for your sins, you're not feeling sorry. See. We're going to look at repentance. Repentance doesn't mean feel sorry. Hallelujah. You can feel sorry, but you've not repented. Amen? Repentance is not feeling remorseful. The differential of repentance don't go to dictionary. You look at it subsequently, subsequently, what it means to repent. Hallelujah. So it's only a prayer upon. Acts chapter 26, verse 18, you will see what forgiveness, how forgiveness is dealt, is, is done, is, is received. Acts 26, verse 18, Quickly, Acts 26, verse 18. To open the eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may do what? Pray for forgiveness. That they may what? Receive. So even in preaching, we don't ask people to say, say, Lord Jesus, I have sinned. Forgive me my sins. Then go now, forgive them and say, congratulations, you are born again. No, 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 no. No, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Forgiveness of sins is received. Okay. Acts of the 10, verse 43. We receive by faith. Acts of the 10, verse 43. Acts of the 10, verse 43. It says to him, all the prophets witness that through his name. Whoever what? Whoever prays, whoever believes in him will pray for the remission of sins. What will he do? He will receive. So you believe and you receive. You believe and you and you receive forgiveness. All right? So we receive by faith in Christ Jesus. When we sing, Jesus will not die again for, to forgive us. Hallelujah. When we sing... Do believers sin? Yes. How do they sin? When you don't do the word of God, you sin. Sin is not only fornication, anger. Worry is sin. So do believers sin. Eh? How many of you have worried about your tuition fees? Some of you, how many of you have even worried about coming to church this morning? You are a sinner. It is by that standard. Amen. Mm-hmm. Oh, they say there's no boss now. How can cry? touch self? How is it gonna be? You are worried. Eh? Prayerlessness. Let's not go there first. So, first John chapter 2, verse 1. I am not telling you these things so that you will sing. But if you sing, you should pray for forgiveness of sin. Eh? What, do you, what do we have? My little children, these things, all these explanations... Because some people say, oh, you are telling us this and so that we have license to control, to sin and to misbehave. That's not what we're saying. Hallelujah. My little children, these things I'm right to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone is if conditional, if anyone sins, we already have an advocate with the Father. Where is he? He's on the mercy seat. He's seated on the mercy seat jesus christ the righteous one hallelujah so jesus was the solution for your sin problem jesus is still the solution for your mistakes and your and your problems that you you encounter today amen so if you sin what do we have we have jesus that is why we are proudly telling you that you it's not how you lose your salvation amen Somebody will say, What about uh, the Bible says that if you if you if you sin against the Holy Ghost, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, because you believe, you cannot blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of, against the Holy Spirit is unbelief in what Jesus has done because the spirit is meant to explain the work of Jesus. Are we together? And when the Holy Spirit is convicting you of the message concerning Jesus, you say, I don't believe, I don't agree, you are living in unbelief. Hallelujah. So we we'll look at it subsequently. But we have been forgiven. Forgiveness of sin is a message, not a prayer. Forgiveness of sin is a message, not a prayer. This mm-hmm. message is only received by faith alone. Acts 26, verse 15 to 18. Acts 26, verse 15 to 18. read verse 18, but Let's just 15, 16 and 17 quickly. Acts 15, verse, yes. Just so I said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. This false confession. But rise and stand on your feet. For I have I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I yet revealed, I will yet reveal to you. Verse 17. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you now. Look at verse 18. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And that they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by the faith that is in me. So the message of Paul is what is about the forgiveness of sins. It's a message. Then jump to chapter 10, verse 38. uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 38 quickly. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 to 43, yes, that's how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, and we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed whom they killed by hanging on the tree. In him, God raised up on the third day and shot him openly. Not to all the people, but to to witnesses, chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to people. This is the commandment. He commanded us to preach to people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to, judge, to be judge of the living and the dead? Verse 43. To him, all the prophets witnessed that through his name. This was a message. Whoever believes in him will receive the forgiveness of sins. So the message is what? It's a forgiveness of sins. 13 verse 39 quickly. Second to the last passage. 13 verse 39. 13 verse 39. Acts 13 verse 39. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Amen. So the message is that God no longer imputes sin to men's account because forgiveness is made available. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Who is blessed by this, 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 this reality, this truth? right? That we have received forgiveness of sins. And it's eternal. And it's a message that we also are empowered to preach. Therefore, if anyone in Christ, anyone in Christ is a new creation. All things have passed away. the All have passed away. Behold, things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciling others to him. Verse 19. That is, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. What is he not doing? He is no longer crediting their accounts, right? Imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word. What is the word he has committed to us? The message that concerns the forgiveness of sins that men can now come into union and fellowship with God. Hallelujah. We close our eyes and thank God. Say, Father, thank you for this truth. This truth is liberating. This truth is is a truth that we can't explain in a day. Just appreciate God for this wonderful work in Christ. Thank you for listening to our sermon today. We hope you were blessed by this teaching. If you want to learn more about our church, please visit our website or follow us on social media. We would love to connect with you and hear your feedback. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel and share it with your friends and family. You never know who might need a word of encouragement.